Well, congratulations, everybody. You managed to set your clock up the proper time, lose an hour of sleep, and still be here. That is worth some extra credit, but only if you stay awake through the whole sermon. That may be the hardest part of all. We are glad you're at Wilshire today and hope your week is off to a great start. Members, there are a lot of things going on at Wilshire, so I hope you'll take a moment to open your bulletin and look at uh, all the things happening, LTC practices. We have a baby shower today for Malcolm and Jennifer Day, so uh, please be sure to make note of that. And visitors, we're glad that you've stopped by Wilshire and hope you have a, a good experience here and give us an opportunity to meet and visit with you after worship today. Well, we did begin a study of the gospel or of the story of Acts a few weeks ago on Sunday mornings. And so I want to invite you to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. I know that's not what Bruce read. Bruce read from Acts chapter 1, and that was my mistake. I sent Tammy just one letter or one number was off, and it changed the whole reading. But I'm glad we were reminded of Acts chapter 1, because in Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his disciples, wait in Jerusalem. Don't break anything. Just wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit of God comes on you. And then once the Spirit comes on you, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. But start in Jerusalem. And that to me has always been such a, a strengthening part of my faith to think that the story of the church, that the story of the gospel begins not in some far off, remote, distant, removed land from where the story of Jesus supposedly happened. You realize that the apostles stood in the very same city and spoke to the very same people and said, you crucified, you killed, and God has raised up and we are witnesses of this. Now, they weren't hiding off in the middle of nowhere when they made that claim. They were standing in the very place where people could have said, no, that's not true. We can show you the body. We know what happened to the body. But no one said that. Because what happened in the story of Luke and in the story of Acts is that Jesus really was risen from the dead. I don't know about you, but that's always a powerful moment to realize that they are standing in the very place that all this unfolded. And they begin to tell this story. Now I hope for you, when you read the book of Acts, it's kind of like looking through an old family album. You know, you got old pictures of trips. I got my, one of my first cousins, or some of my first cousins are here today. And we can go back and we can look through family albums and it reminds us of what our family has been through, who we are, things that define us along the way. You realize you look like this cousin and this cousin looks like you? Do you remember that time we used to stuff you in the dryer? This is all theoretical stuff. All that time we used to do stuff to you. you we look at an album and we remember our family history. If you are a New Testament Christian, the book of Acts is your family album. These are our people. This is our story. Acts chapter 2, they preached the gospel for the very first time in its entirety. That Jesus Christ died, was buried, 
was raised again. 3,000 people in Acts chapter 2 believed that message so much that they completely reoriented their life. They repented. And they were baptized into Jesus Christ, forgiven of their sins, blessed with the Spirit of God. And as Acts chapter 2 closes, you find their meeting together day after day, breaking bread, fellowship, the apostles' doctrine, and then prayer. Just like we're doing today. It's our people. It's our story. Now the text I want to read to you takes place in chapter 3. Still in Jerusalem. Still the early days of the church. And I want to first let you hear it from Luke. And then I want to show you some things I think Luke is trying to get our attention with. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. He fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, He stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Now Luke tells this story in in kind of three different movements. The first one is the story itself, the healing itself. And then there's this conversation that unfolds with Peter and the people immediately there present watching it. And then he starts to get in some hot water and has to explain what's going on to some of the temple leaders. I just want to walk you through the miracle in the first conversation that happens. This miracle is fascinating because the way Luke tells it, it's just another day in Jerusalem. Just another ordinary day. He says one day, well, I don't know how long this was after the day of Pentecost back in chapter 2. We don't know what day of the week it is. He just makes it sound like an ordinary day in Jerusalem. He does tell us it's 3 o'clock. This translation says the ninth hour of the day. According to their time of uh, reference, it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. People are coming to say prayers. People made their way to the temple to say their prayers. There's a man there. Luke says he's been lame from birth. We don't know how old he was. We don't know how long he sat at this particular temple. We don't know how long or often he begged there, but it's evidently been quite some time because everyone passing him knows him. And he had someone who would carry him to that gate, to that place every day. They'd drop him off, they'd leave him there, and then at the end of the day they'd come pick him up and take him home. He's sitting outside the temple because he can't go in. 
If you're familiar with the Old Testament teaching, anyone who was infirm or, or considered broken, diseased, or handicapped in any way, that was a reflection of the broken creation around us. And, and the temple is a reflection of the perfection of God. And so anyone diseased or, or broken in any way could not enter the temple area. The gospel has its own way of dealing with that issue, but this man is sitting outside of the temple because he can't go in there. He's only sat outside the gate and listened and wondered and watched. He's never been inside. And it happened just like every other day. Same place, same man, same crowd, until one time it wasn't. Does anyone beside me feel that weird feeling? You know, in, in Oklahoma City, it's becoming more and more predominant. When you, you pull up to a stoplight, and there's someone there holding a sign that says, anything will help. Do you have mixed emotions? I mean, we've, we've all heard these stories about we have all these social safety nets. Those people could find help if they wanted help. If they really wanted work, they could find work. Well, that person looks just fine and capable of working. We have all these thoughts that run through our head. But, but if you notice, you try not to look at them. Because if, if you look at them, it's almost like you're, you're validating them. Do you ever feel that? That strange, uncomfortable moment. You notice the way Luke tells the story in Acts. Peter and John walk by this man. He's begging for alms, charitable donations. And Peter looks him in the eye. And John looks him in the eye. Boy, that must be uncomfortable, huh? Peter and John say, we, we don't have any money to give you. We're preachers, we're poor. But I'll give you something I bet you didn't wake up this morning expecting to receive. I'll give you something that no one else in this temple could offer to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up. Stand up and walk. And suddenly this ordinary day becomes remarkably extraordinary for this man. Verse 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple. It's an ordinary day. They offer him this blessing. And then the text says they take him by the right hand and, and they raise him up. His feet and his ankles. Remember, this guy's never walked a day in his life. And immediately his feet and the ankles are made strong. And this guy begins leaping and standing and walking and praising. And he goes into the temple for the first time in his life. For this first time, he doesn't have to sit outside and listen. For the first time in his life, He's allowed to walk in into the presence of God. He no longer has to be carried anywhere. He walks in by his own strength. It's a remarkable 
story of our brothers and sisters in Acts. Now, before we rush past this to Peter's explanation, I think there's a few things Luke wants to be sure you don't miss. Because he's written this in a particular way to make a particular point. You remember the question Bruce reminded us this morning in the reading? Remember the question that opens the book of Acts? Here you've got Jesus, who's been with his disciples for three years. And through the ministry of Jesus, Jesus has time and time again preached, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let me show you the kingdom. Let me describe to you the kingdom. Let me offer you the invitation of the kingdom of God. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And when you get to Acts chapter 1, after three years, the disciples look at Jesus, who's been raised from the dead, who's about to ascend, and they ask that question, is now when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? It's like students who have sat through an entire semester are handed the final exam and they ask the most basic question that you addressed on the first day of class. Is today the day? And Jesus in Acts chapter 1 says it's, it's not for you to know. But if you read the book of Acts, Luke is shouting on page after page after page, the kingdom of God is present. It happens when Jesus ascends to the Father. It happens when all nations under the earth are gathered into Jerusalem. It happens when Joel's prophecy is explained, the Spirit fell down just like Joel said it would. And if you're reading Acts and you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll catch what Luke does. Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 6. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. The lame will leap like a deer. It's kind of obscure wording back in Isaiah. Isaiah uses a, a unique word, at least, when the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew is written. It uses this unique word, a word you don't find very often. You find it in Isaiah 35 and you find it in Acts chapter 3. The lame will leap like a deer. It's Luke's way again of winking across the page and saying, the kingdom of God is present. Don't miss that. And it's also, if you've been listening to Luke tell the story of Jesus, it's also a story that sounds vaguely familiar to something that happened in Jesus' ministry back in Luke chapter 5. There again, Jesus is preaching and a man is carried in who can't walk. And Jesus uses the exact same words that Peter and John use. Rise, stand up, and walk. I think it's Luke's way of looking across the page and saying, the church is doing what Jesus did. That the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ is a continuation of the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's what Acts is showing us. Jesus has ascended to go back to the Father and he's left his people, the church, to carry on his ministry. 
And Peter and John found that one ordinary day in Jerusalem when they see this man begging for alms and they give him more than he ever dreamed he would receive. That's what God calls us to do, to be the continual ministry of Jesus in the world that he's placed us in. Those are just some of the things I think Luke wants to be sure we catch as we read the story. But I like the way Luke pivots, and Luke then begins to explain what's just happened. Now, he does this with Peter. And the the text says that this man that you've passed every day, this man who day after day is sitting in the same spot asking for the same thing among the same people, a man that perhaps you've tossed money to once or twice in your time. And suddenly, he's standing in the temple. You may have heard his story before, or may not, but, but one day you walk past and you say, I wonder where he's at today. Well, people couldn't get him today, maybe. maybe. Maybe he's too sick to get out. I just It's kind of odd he's not sitting there today, isn't it? And then you walk around the corner, and he's not sitting there, he's standing there. Now, the skeptical side of us may look and say, okay, I knew it was a joke all along. I knew he was a fraud. But you've seen him there for too long, being too hopeless to realize this is not some joke. Something extraordinary has happened, and that... The text, the way Luke unfolds the story, Luke sees this and he says, verse 10, All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit, that's past tense, he used to sit and beg for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And this guy is now clinging to Peter. What a great picture. Peter and John has given him something he never expected to get, and he's holding on to them, not because he can't use his feet, because he can. He's holding on to them because these people brought him something he never thought he'd get. And he's holding on to Peter and John, and the text says, all the people ran to them in the portico, utterly astonished. And then Peter speaks. I like Peter's introduction. What are you guys so shocked about? Why are you astonished at this? Now hold on, Peter. That guy's never walked before. And Peter says, what's so surprising about this? And he goes on and he begins to explain to them why you shouldn't be surprised at all. Peter's not crazy. Peter's response is basically this. If you only knew who Jesus was, you wouldn't be surprised at any of this. It is by the name, by the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This shouldn't shock you. You shouldn't be shocked as if Peter and John, as as if we did anything to this man. We didn't do anything. We showed up to the temple to pray. We walked past the man. And in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, 
this man is standing in front of you. This Jesus of Nazareth, who you ignorantly crucified. This Jesus of Nazareth, who the prophets continually talked about. This Jesus of Nazareth, who, who Abraham was told, through your seed all nations of the earth will be blessed. This Jesus of Nazareth, who Moses was talking about, when God said, I will raise up a prophet like unto me. This Jesus of Nazareth, who Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, and Joel, all of them have talked about. If you knew who Jesus was, if you hadn't ignorantly crucified the Son of God, the Son of the righteous, the servant of the Most High God, the Holy One of God, if you only knew who Jesus was, this wouldn't surprise you at all. Because that's what Jesus does. Because that's what the name of Jesus is capable of accomplishing. It is not by our power, by our ability, by our piety, by our goodness, by some sort of magic. This thing only happens in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Don't be shocked. Is a remarkable message for Peter. I mean, this guy couldn't walk yesterday. This guy couldn't walk five minutes ago. And now he's jumping and leaping and praising God. And the only difference between then and now is the name of Jesus the Christ. What is Luke trying to remind us of? in our family album of the book of Acts. I think sometimes we forget what in the name of Jesus actually means. We say it almost every time we're together. When, when someone says a prayer, be with this brother or sister, be with this family, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. When we baptize someone, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Splash up. Do you realize what those words mean? In the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Those aren't just perfunctory phrases. Not just words we toss out. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, Luke will go on to say. In the name of Jesus Christ, nations will rise and nations will fall. In the name of Jesus Christ, demons will take off running for their life. In the name of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God arrives. That's not a throwaway phrase to end a prayer. That is calling on the power and the presence of Almighty God to work in our life. And in Acts chapter 3, Luke sets the table for everything else that's going to unfold in the book of Acts. Every accomplishment of the church, every victory of people will only happen in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Our brothers and sisters, when we pray for a brother or sister that God will bring healing 
Or when we pray that someone who has wandered away from the church, we pray that they actually come back. When we pray that someone will open their lives to the message of the gospel, when we hear those words and we see it happen, don't be surprised. It's the name of Jesus Christ. It's more than just the way we end the prayer. And I think Luke wants us to focus in that the church only lives and breathes because of that name and no other. That is the name upon which Peter said we must call. Now there's one other note in this text that's fascinating, the way Luke tells the story. Back up and you find it in verse 20. As Peter is explaining to them what they have done in crucifying Jesus, and he calls them to repent of their sins, he says that the times of refreshing, refreshing may come, until God may send Christ. It's an interesting phrase that I've read lots of times and often wondered about. And it seems to me that Luke has taken this image of this man who's never walked, who receives life, and he says, what you see here is pointing towards what God is ultimately going to do. That God is at some time going to restore all things in the name of Jesus Christ. Heaven and earth, there will be no more distance between them. Paul talked about this in Ephesians 1, that God through Jesus is trying to join heaven and earth under the lordship of Christ. John sees this vision to close the book of Revelation that I saw as a bride coming down from heaven adorned for her husband the new heaven and the new earth joined together. And it appears to me that Luke is saying that day is coming when God restores all things in his glory, but in the meantime, God will refresh us along the way. That this, this man who's never walked in the presence of Jesus Christ has brought healing to this man, and it's a taste a refreshing of what's going to one day happen. What a great image of the ministry of the church. That we believe that in God's time and in God's choosing, all things will be made new and will dwell in the presence of God. And God says, I need you as my people, as my representatives, to go out and refresh the world around you until that day comes. And every act of ministry and every act of mercy and every act of compassion that you and I give in this broken and fallen world is a taste, it's a refreshing of what's ultimately coming. That's what ministry is about. That's the purpose of the church. When people are among us and around us, that they sense what God is ultimately going to do in all of creation. It was just an ordinary day in Jerusalem. 
until it wasn't. In the name of Jesus Christ, everything changed. The same name that you and I call on today. Does God still work? Does God still change lives? Is God still capable of bringing refreshing? I hope so. And I believe so. There's one other remarkable thing about this story in Acts 2, or in Acts 3. The people who witnessed this miracle and who experienced this blessing of God, some of them were the same ones calling out for the death of Jesus. And, and Peter in this story says again to this crowd, you crucified. You called for his blood. When you were given the chance, you asked for a true murderer and thief instead of the life of innocent Jesus. But there's still hope for you. He did this back in chapter 2. You by wicked hands have crucified the very Son of God. That, but there's hope for you. No matter how broken or fallen or far you've run, there's hope for you. And that hope is found only in the name of Jesus Christ. So it's in the name of Jesus that this morning we offer the invitation of Christ. That if you've broken and fallen and run from him, in the name of Jesus Christ, your life can be restored with the presence of God, the presence of His Spirit, and the forgiveness of sins. And in the name of Jesus, God still works today. And He's calling for Him to work in your life today. So we offer the invitation of Jesus Christ in His name. If you need to come to faith in Christ, or you need to come back under the control and presence of God, we offer this invitation in His name as we stand and sing.